when you hear the children cry, you don't see the color of their skin. And all children cry the same. And you think of your own children, or if you don't have any, you think of yourself when you were a child. And it was much harder to other them at that point because they sounded just like your own children when they're crying. So that ability to other people is what allows these types of atrocities to come to pass. David Person. Oh, we put David in charge of pronouncing names this week. Yeah. So, uh, whenever you say it with an accent like mine, it always comes out dumb sounding. Okay. Uh, uh, it doesn't matter what. Uh, so it's just how it comes out. It comes out like I'm saying it wrong every single time. And usually it's because I am. Uh, but, but I know my weakness. Okay. And, uh, and my weakness is Southern Draw. And that's okay. It's okay. All well, right. I, I actually, it's not intentional. I actually thought that the last two times you said uh, our guest name, and our guest, by the way, is uh, Efron Olivares. Uh, you actually said it very well, I thought, the last couple times you said his name. Well, I, and I want, I want to, you know, I want to introduce him and, and be very respectful of him. Yeah. And so that's, you know, so we're putting David in charge of pronouncing names. So. <laughs> I know what's going to happen because I'll do it correctly, but I've got to think about it, you know? Yeah. And I've got so much other shit running around in my head up there that I'll just forget and say it like, you know, a hick, you know, <laughs> Efren, Efren, let me ask you a question. Uh, and so, you know, and it won't be intentional. It won't be at all. It yeah. won't, you know, and so, you know, but that's life of me. So anyway, so he is our guest. Mr. Oliveres is our guest, guest today. And he's got, he's got a great book out. Not a, you know, it's it's a well written book, but about a uh, you know a, a troubling topic of uh, the child separations that took place at our at our border, and kind of he was involved in that very extensively, working as an attorney, and um, it just the stories are you know heartbreaking, and and uh, it it's just uh, an atrocious time in in American history, and, and should be viewed as. Uh, a national embarrassment, but he will get into that, and we'll we'll talk to him uh, about that. Um, speaking of embarrassments, uh, we have two that we could talk we could start with today, and uh, one is Tommy Tuberville, who is the unending embarrassment uh, that we mm. all knew he would be in his uh, decision that uh, announcement, I guess, that apparently race is not color. Um, which <laughs> what, is? Oh, what the fuck? What the uh, I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Uh, uh, you know, um, but, uh, you, would you like, you want to start with Tubbs or you want to go, uh, more local-ish uh, state know, politics? What I'd like to talk about is something that you said, well, what I'd like to start talking about. Okay. Um, is what you said just before we started rolling. Wait, and, that doesn't count. Those things don't count. No, 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 man. That <laughs> no. was good. That was, okay. that was fascinating. Okay. You okay. said... And and mm-hmm. I think we should really. I'm intrigued with this. You said that you believe that the polls are wrong and that the Democrats are going to actually have a landslide victory in a couple of weeks. And I'm assuming by that you mean you think that we're going to keep the the House and the Senate. Mm-hmm. I do. Yes. Wow. That, that is my 
is my prediction is that they were gonna they're gonna hold the house and they're gonna they're gonna get the Senate as well, um, or, and I think they're going to increase their lead in the Senate, uh, and I'm wow. hoping that they will increase their lead in the Senate into a Mansion Cinema proof uh, majority, which will allow a number of very good things to happen. Uh, I, I don't know that to be the case. Obviously, I don't know. Hell, I don't know any of this. I, mm. You know, that's just my prediction. I just think that I think that. When you look at national trends on mm-hmm. things, um, and you, I think what's holding back some of the polling for Democrats is the same thing that held back polling uh, in the in the twenty twenty uh, election cycle uh, for it, that it that was an advantage for Republicans in which. A lot of the people who were being polled because of the, um, I guess, the national image of Donald Trump and some of those, uh, some of his policies and standings, they did not want to be associated with that when people called to ask the questions. Um, And I think something similar has transpired overall uh, with the Democratic Party over the course of the last two years. But specifically, I believe that a lot of people don't want to publicly state their support for abortion, Hmm. Um, abortion rights uh, specifically, and women's rights. And I believe that that will will drive people to the polls far more so than this generic course yet about the economy and Hmm. inflation and things like that, where, you know, you keep hearing that these things, you know, these things have been... Oh, the, the top issue is inflation and oh, it's inflation, 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 inflation. And then every single time we had a special election, the number one issue was abortion because Democrats own their asses at every single one of these special elections. And in most of those races, they made it about abortion rights. Mm-hmm. And so I just think that. That's what's going to happen. I know I may be completely wrong and people can send me letters or whatever afterwards. And that's fine. I've been wrong before. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I just think that the polling right now, I'll say it like this. What makes me think this is is this. Uh, Another thing that makes me think this is this is right now, given the way the economy, you know, is, which Mm -hmm. is really actually pretty good. But people, you know, you wouldn't know it from headlines and the way people talk about it. Uh, It's actually pretty awesome. I mean, 2.6 GDP growth is not too damn bad coming out of a pandemic and an uh, alleged recession. Um, and then, you know, record low unemployment, um, just you know, <clears throat> spending that continues to defy all expectations, uh, jobs, numbers and growth and wage growth. That is great. Uh, inflation that is mainly manufactured through corporate greed. Um, and so, but if you take into account the national conversation around all these things, mm-hmm. and then you look at the polling and you look at what historically should happen to the party in charge after a big presidential win, um, Democrats should be getting crushed. They should be down 15 points in a lot of these polls. But in most of them, they're up slightly. Uh, people see Democrats more favorably in most of these polls than they do Republicans. And so, I just think that that's kind of a sign of trouble for for the Republican Party, uh, mm-hmm. that they should be up, but they're not. And I think that it's going to translate out to to some wins. Well, I you know, I wanted to hear your thought on this, because I know that you spend 
a good portion of your week, you know, really digging into numbers and facts and doing research about all of this much. You know, I, I wish I had the heck could allocate the time to that that I know you do, because uh, I think I would I would probably have some uh, some strong feelings about that, too. But let me ask you this. So in light of what you just said. What do you think is going to happen in Georgia? And what do you think is going to happen in Alabama? Uh, Georgia, I think, uh, I think Warnock is going to win Georgia. Um, and I think that we'll, we'll probably have a really, really close, close race between Kemp and um, uh, Stacey Abrams. Um, I, and You're not going to call that know. one, though? Uh, you know, I think it's going to be close. You know, it's it's tough to beat somebody, uh, you know, in the office like that. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it is. It's it's tough mm-hmm. to beat an incumbent. It's tough to beat somebody who has, you know, for all of his faults and for all of the things that I disagree with Kemp about, um, he has not been as you know batshit crazy. He's not been Marjorie Taylor Green, right. uh, you know, over there, and and. And so I think that that will assist him. You know, he was also opposite of, of Trump on a few things. And so I think that that kind of helps him with a more moderate uh, Republican. And so maybe that that pushes him a little bit higher. And so, you know, I, I think that that's a that's a tougher race, although, I you know, I would personally right now give Abrams a little bit of an edge. But that's just on my yeah. on my belief factor of what's going to happen uh, nationally, uh, with, with the democratic party. Now, Alabama, I think that there are probably, I, I, I'll tell you this. I think that there are going to be some people who look at what takes place and think that we missed an opportunity to really grow the democratic party in this cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think that there were some opportunities and I'll tell you one that I think is is missed and missed bigly is an opportunity to challenge Dale Strong for this Mo Brooks seat up here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I'm not saying somebody could win. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that at all. But I I tell you this: they could have made them spend a hell of a lot of money on it. Um, and if they'd have put a viable candidate up in this up in this district up here, uh, if they had put a, a real candidate to run for that seat. I think that they could have they could have pushed that they could have pushed a real race out up here and it simultaneously lifted a lot of these Democrats uh, that are on the ticket in the Madison County area. You know, I, I think some of them are going to win regardless, and we're going to talk about one <laughs> who may win even if she loses. Uh, but um, you know, it's um, I you know I, I so I don't know that throughout the state. I don't think that it's going to be. Um, I don't think it's going to be a, 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 a there are going to be big stories uh, mm-hmm. here or there uh, about things, but I just don't I don't know that Alabama has the candidates to do to do much. You know, they don't have well, they don't have the, the people on the ballots. Well, let me, let, let, let's linger on the fifth congressional district. Uh, that's Madison County and and Jackson. Let's see, that's Madison, Jackson, Limestone. I think Auburn. Morgan. And I think I'm missing a county or two. And Lauderdale County. Lauderdale, yeah, thank you, Lauderdale. Um, <clears throat> I honestly think that 
It's a yeah, I agree with you. It's a missed opportunity. But the thing that I would say is, I don't know who that candidate would have been mm-hmm. who could have really given Dale Strong a run for his money. When you look at when you look at okay, so you know, and I'm gonna I'm gonna call names here. So our friend Anthony Daniels. He wasn't going to do it, or or did not do it. He didn't do it. Yeah, I think he could have done it. I think he could have done it, but for whatever reason, he you know he that wasn't on his agenda, and so he didn't do it. Um, and I think he'd have been a very strong. I think he'd have given Dale a run for the money. In fact, I think he'd have beat Dale. Honestly, I think he could have beat. I think he would have been. I think he would have been very strong as well because yeah. he would have needed somebody from the Huntsville area to challenge Strong because that's where his base of support was going to be. Was over yeah. here. Um, so, so I think that would have helped. So then, when you look at that, okay, when you when you drill down even to that level. <clears throat> and I start thinking, well, who, who, okay, so you got Anthony. Anthony didn't do it. Um, I think Kim Lewis uh, probably, probably could have done it. Um, but, you know, the challenge there would be that this is Kim's first, you know, she decided that her first foray into politics was going to be as a state, you know, an attempt to get into the legislature. Mm-hmm. So because she made that choice, that took her out of that. Um, you know, after after those two, honestly, and maybe I'm forgetting somebody, but I just can't think of a Democrat who would have the name recognition who would have the resources, who would have the, who could, who would have the acumen, the political acumen to do it. And I think, and also I think you got to add experience to that as well. Experience in something, if not in politics, then in civil, civic leadership, which Kim definitely has, um, you know, or 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 civic leadership in business, which Kim definitely has, and of course Anthony has. I just don't know who that person would have been. So while I agree with you that it was a missed opportunity, I I don't know that there was anybody else. So we had we have a person who comes in, God bless her, you know, uh God bless Miss Stanton. Uh but I mean nobody Really, uh, I, I don't get the sense that most people know who she is. Well, no, nobody's done any work. You know, nobody's done any work to to, to prop her up in, in a lot yeah. of these things. You know what I mean? Nobody, I'm, nobody. I mean, but the party itself has done done zero. Yeah. Um, here and uh, and that's a big problem that we that we seem to have recurring. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've got we have and we have you know some races that are winnable all around the state. I'm, and I, to your point, I don't necessarily disagree with you, uh, but I mean, we named the candidate that, that we both believe could have done this mm-hmm. and um, and I think would have, you know, would have caused a real problem uh, for Dale Strong and the Republicans up here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, but. You know, it's just. You know, you got to You got to put people. I, I just I felt like what what should have happened is all over the all over the state 
um, is we should have taken people that are well known, uh, Randall Woodfin, uh, Walt Maddox, uh, uh, Stephen Reed, uh, Anthony Daniels, Chris England, whoever. We should have taken those people and run them for something. You know, run them, run them in campaigns at for governor, for U.S. senator, for House seats, for, you know, anything that we could at the top of the ticket to boost enthusiasm among the rest of the party. Because you have probably the biggest issue that has ever come about in this election cycle, and I'm talking about the abortion issue here, mm-hmm. that I think is going to to drive a lot of people to to the polls. And I, I mean, there'll there'll probably be uh, some stories that come out in the next before before election day uh, about you know abortion issues in this state and people affected by that. Um, you know, perhaps I'll write one of them. We'll see. Uh, you know, but um, it's you know that affect that involve young children being forced out of this state uh, because of our abortion laws mm-hmm. uh, to, you know, to go and receive medical care uh, for rape situations. And, um, and so when you have those types of things that are, uh, that are angering a large swath of people, and I think Alabama is one of those places I talked about earlier, where you have a group of people who are not, um, who would not, publicly vocalize their support for, you know, what if somebody called them for a, for a telephone poll, they would not publicly vocalize that support for abortion rights, but in the privacy of their own home, having dealt with their children, maybe have had a a scare or an abortion in the past, um, knowing, understanding the reality of things. I think you have a large, large percentage of suburban, white, moderate voters out there. And that's a big chunk of people. No matter what you may see, that's a huge chunk of people, who women, who are right now thinking, if there was a candidate that could do away with some of the shit that we're facing here, I'd vote for him. And, and I think that that's true, not just in Alabama, but all across the country. Um, and uh, I think that's going to be a driving factor that people are vastly underestimating uh, over the course of the next couple of weeks. And, you know, as we go through, you know, uh, the early voting periods and absentee voting and up until Election Day. And so I just think that we missed an opportunity here to do some things in this state that would lift Democrats into a more favorable light going forward. It may not have resulted in a hell of a lot of wins or things like that, but I think it would have got a lot of people in front of cameras and it would have helped going forward. And and we didn't have it because a lot of people were fighting with each other. Well, that kind of reminds me of our conversation with Joe Reed last week. Yeah, boy, people were pissed about that, weren't they? <laughs> Holy <laughs> hell. My you, God, people were angry about that. You got to uh, see, you got, I don't get a lot of, I don't get a lot of feedback because I'm not on Twitter. I guess you got a lot of feedback on that. I got Twitter and Facebook and emails and, uh, I mean, my God, people were mad at Joe Reed about what he said. 
Uh-huh. Uh, you know, I wrote a little story for for APR, just you know, basically promoting yeah. the the interview and uh, and then posted it up. And um, I mean, holy hell, people were mad at him about what he said. I know what when he said, I know what I'm doing. You know, I know what I'm doing. You know, I volunteer. They don't. And, <laughs> is that what made them mad? <laughs> oh, I mean, it was you know I'm that, and uh, you know that, I know what I'm doing. Part really got under some skin, yeah, because you know uh, I think they, they would they would they would say, and they would have, would have some evidence to to support their claim that you know results would say he does not know what he's doing. Uh, you know, over the course of the last few years, I think that's a very unfair thing to say. But uh, you know, and I'm not you know. I'm I'm not Joe Reed's biggest biggest fan uh, here, uh, but I'm also not going to yell at the guy uh, when he comes home. Uh, you know, it's it's we asked the questions that everybody wanted to know the answers to. Uh, we we talked, you know, we told him what people were saying about him and mm-hmm. and you know the questions that were being raised, and we allowed him an opportunity to to respond to those things and to mm-hmm. say what what's said. And then you can hate him more or less or whatever, but you know. Well, you know, Joe Reed um, saying he knows what he's doing, I take that to mean that he's speaking on behalf of the Alabama Democratic Conference. And I think he's right about that. I think he does know what he's doing there. Now, how that how that fits into the agenda of the Alabama Democratic Party, uh, you know, I think, yeah. of course, that can be debated. And um and and is being debated. Has yeah. Been debated. Yeah. I just wish that, that you know, we could we could have been, you know, that that we could put a lot of this to rest. You know what I mean? And 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 people work together a little more than they may have been because this is not yeah. getting anywhere. Yeah. Um, um Well, but, you know, do you not see it as a do you not see it as sort of a concession or did they not let me say let me not address it to you, but do you think the people that were pissed about what he was saying to us, mm-hmm. do you not think that they, did they just completely ignore the fact that he said, Hey, look, we need more whites in the party. We need more young people in the party. Or they just didn't buy that. Well, I, no, I think that they, they bought it, but I think what troubled them. And, and again, I, you know, I don't necessarily have, I, I think that they have an argument to be made with it is that while it's nice to say that, it's another thing to have a plan to actually accomplish that. And they didn't, you know, they, they didn't really hear a plan of how they were going to attract white people to the party of how, uh, the actions so far that they have taken has done anything other than anger the young people of the party. And I think that's a fair thing to say, you know, that was the big fight at the last caucus meetings was, um, you know, these, uh, the, the youngins, uh, were were angry because they felt like they had been mistreated, uh, and and Reed and the uh, Democratic Conference folks felt like they were um, the young people were there to kind of undermine them. And you know, I think that that's not getting anybody anywhere at this point. And I think some of that needs to be put to rest, and there needs to be some olive branches. And I think one of the one of the first things that I would advise. Uh, no, and nobody's going to listen to me. So, I mean, I might as well just say it into the wind. But I, I would advise them to stop this nonsense with the bylaws. Just let the bylaws be the bylaws. You won with those bylaws. Just leave them in place. Let the young people have their voice. Uh, welcome them into the party. Push them to, to do more. And, and let's put the whole thing behind you. You're in charge. You're going to be in charge for a while. 
just do it. Just do what you want to do. So in saying that, you are addressing specifically Randy Kelly and and Joe Reed. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, I think that that would go a long way to burying a lot of this, is if they would just stop this with the bylaws and stuff, this rewriting of it, and, and call some meetings and just everybody say, here are our goals. And let's let's leave things alone out structure wise. Let's leave things alone and let's go forward with these goals and 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 let's focus on doing these things. Fill in the ballots with with quality candidates at fundraising, uh, you know, at, at registration efforts. Let's let's do that. Let's focus on that. And here's how I think everybody can help and put out plans and then take the input from others and start moving things forward. That's my advice. So, and you said you don't think anybody's going to listen to you on that. Uh, no, <laughs> I think we're going to still have the same damn fight we've been having for the last five years. Yeah, that's so tragic. Mm-hmm. I do. I mean, I, you know, and, and and here's the thing about it, and this is why I'm addressing them and not the the younger people over this because I haven't talked to the younger folks about you know, what they, they're doing and what they're wanting and all this kind of thing. I, they're, they're not really wanting anything that they shouldn't be wanting. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They, they want a voice at the table. They want a seat at the table. Um, mm-hmm. And they're not, they have no historical perspective really on the whole fight. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so they're not involved really in the fight. They didn't even, most <laughs> didn't even know they were entering the fight. You know, it was like, what the hell's going on? Why you, why, why you keep kicking me? You know? Um, uh, and so I think it would be very easy, very, very easy to go to them and say, okay, look, we're going to, we're going to knock this off, but here's what we want to do. Here's what, here's our plan. What do you think about the plan uh, to go out and accomplish these five, six, seven, eight tasks uh, that we desperately need for the party, you know? And let's let's work together and get this thing done. And I, I think they would be on board and I think there would be a huge asset. Hmm. You know, this party, God bless it, this party has been I, I feel think, like a lot of I feel like a lot of people start a conversation about this with, you know, this party. <laughs> <laughs> it has been in uh, I'll say really bad shape as far as I can recall um, since uh, the attempt was made and I thought it was a pretty interesting attempt and, and I initially wasn't even opposed to it by Mark Kennedy. You remember when Mark Kennedy and that group kind of started mm-hmm. to form a separate yeah. Democratic yeah, they wanted to form a separate separate group. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, which I didn't have a back then I didn't have a major problem with. Um I just figured, hey, you know, what will happen is it'll play out and whatever group emerges, then that's the yeah. group that, you know, moves forward. But it wasn't successful. And I don't even remember why. I, I don't remember what happened, but it wasn't successful, but it seems to me like even going back to that time period, you know, there were there were 
this what we're living through now is a rehash as a, at least as I recall it it's a rehash of what we were going through back then mm-hmm. and it just seems like um it's almost like when you when you when you get when your when your vehicle gets stuck in the mud mm-hmm. and you're trying to get out your wheels are spinning and yet you're just digging a deeper groove into the mud yeah. that's what it feels like to me yeah yeah, I mean, it's, it's, um, I, I don't know, man. I, I've never, I, I don't, I, I just, it, I've never been interested in prolonged fighting. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm always more interested in, all right, look, how can we just stop this? Because this is not benefiting anybody anymore. Um, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't benefit anybody to be in control of, of a party in a super minority, you know, mm-hmm. it doesn't, it doesn't, you're not, what are you doing? I mean, what, what benefit are you really getting out of saying I'm the chair of this party? You know, what, whoop de do. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's just, I, I don't know, man. It just, you're right. It, it, it stuck. And it's just because a lot of people don't want to give up power. Um, and, you know, and, and power over what? You don't know. But it, it's just, it's just a failure right now is what it is. It's a, it's a failure and it's hurting everybody. Uh, and I mean that. I mean that in, in every way. It, it's hurting yeah. everybody. Uh, the Republicans are hurt by this. Uh, the Democrats are hurt by this. Conservatives, liberals, everybody living in this state is hurt by the fact that we do not have a second viable political party here to well, challenge things, enforce co- uh, compromise and conversation, um, and to look out for, you know, what we have is, a, a, you know, essentially a ruling class of people right now that look out for themselves and their friends and everybody else can go to hell. And, you know, we we're voting for that on the basis of national trends and, uh, you know, social issues and, uh, the you know, culture wars and things like that, that that really have no effect on anybody. When you're keeping in charge people that are charging you a higher tax rate uh, than you should be paying uh, at that your level of income uh, at people who have resisted consistently a better healthcare system in this state when it money for it was laying on the table for anybody to take. Uh, they have done so they've denied you the right to vote on other programs that would benefit the middle class, uh, and, and lower income folks, such as a lottery and, and gambling in this state. Uh, I mean, you, hmm. you, you, we can say whatever we want to, we got gambling already in this state. It's yeah. so stupid that we're, yeah. we're not, we're not taking advantage of it. I mean, how many thousands of kids in Georgia have gone to college now on hope scholarships uh, while we've been twiddling our damn thumbs and, and going back and forth over this gambling stuff. And it's just, it's lunacy. It really is. Yep. And, and we have people that are voting for it every day. And, and part of the problem and part of the reason for that is we don't have a viable second party letting people know that, that they're getting screwed and that there are better options out there. Mm-hmm. And here we are, yep. you know, and, and I'll tell you this, and I'll tell you this, if we had a second party out there doing that, it wouldn't. It wouldn't just be that you had to vote for Democrats. It would force Republicans to also pay attention to everybody in their districts 
and, yeah. and to work for their votes as well. And so they would have to come to your house and ask you what's important to you and then make some adjustments to their policies to attract you to vote for them. Mm-hmm. That's how this shit works. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, mm-hmm. so, but here we are. Mm. Somebody's in charge. Nobody wants to give it up. Fuck them kids. So. Mm. Mm. And on that depressing note. Yeah. All right. Let's slide out of here and get in our, uh, our guest. Would you like to say his name? <laughs> yes, I'll say his name. Our guest is Efron Oliveres. There we go. He's going to join us when we come back. It's Alabama Politics this week. Back in a minute. I'm David Person with Alabama Politics This Week. You know, you listen to me and Josh every week, and we have a blast as we talk about Alabama politics and culture and as we interview newsmakers and journalists about Alabama politics and culture. Thanks for your support of this great podcast, and I hope that you will continue to not only listen, but to share it with your friends and also give us a rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Thanks a lot. All righty. Welcome back. Alabama Politics This Week. Josh Moon, David Person, and we are happy now uh, to be joined by Efren Oliveris. Correct? I'm, that I'm, is I'm correct. correct. That, I, I, David, why don't you say it? <laughs> You say it, David. You say it. Because you're so much better. And I want to make sure that he's an important guest and he's written yes. a great book. And I want to make sure we have his name correct here yes. and we don't insult anybody. Absolutely. So we have with us Efron Olivares. Hello. I mean, <laughs> David's like a pro, man. You should let him talk more. You should let him talk more. Ah, uh, Mr. Olivares, I, uh, the, the, you have written a book. Um, it is My Boy Will Die of Sorrow, a memoir of immigration from the front lines. Um, and this kind of covers the period of time, uh, which I think a lot of us think of as uh, the kids in cages era uh, of, of our awful, awful immigration policy that took place during the Trump presidency and what they did um at the at the front lines at, at our border, uh, with a number of families who came here seeking refuge, terrified for their lives, and and we treated them like garbage. Um, I, I guess if to just start, give us kind of a of overview of the book, and then we we can get into some more specifics about your experiences and things like that. So just tell us about the book and and kind of what's covered there. Sure. The thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be sure. here. The book. And I never thought that a book like this would be written, that I would be writing it, because I just never thought that such a policy would ever happen in the United States in my lifetime. And in fact, when I first got a phone call from a criminal defense attorney in McAllen, Texas, telling me what she was seeing in court and asking for my help to to try to find the children that were being taken away from their parents, I couldn't believe it. I, I couldn't believe that it was possible in 2018 for our government to be taking children without any process whatsoever, let alone due process, without telling the parents where their children were going, when they might see them again, who would be caring for them. So I just want to start by putting ourselves back in, you know, 
summer 2018 mindset and how one unfathomable that seemed before and two how in the early weeks of that policy there was no telling how long it was going to last or if the children would ever be reunited with with their parents so so my book is is an insider's perspective of that i was at the texas civil rights project at the time and in mccallan alone in one courthouse we represented nearly 400 families who were separated from their children in in just under a month and and the book shares those stories some particularly cruel and inhumane stories, as well as what it was like as an advocate to try to figure things out on the fly. None of us were prepared for that kind of crisis because it was unthinkable. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not something they teach you in law school, you know, how to find children thrown into a maze of bureaucracy and foster care and immigration agencies. And the other piece of the book is my own story of I immigrated to the U.S. at the age of 13. But four years earlier, when I was nine, my father moved to the U.S. in search of work. You know, we were not fleeing persecution or death threats or violence. It was just looking for a better future. So for four years, my father was in the U.S. and and my mother, my siblings and I were still in Mexico. And we would see my father occasionally, but he was not present in our daily lives, not around for, you know, school milestones for medical emergencies and things like that. And I never thought of that as particularly hard or remarkable until many years later as an adult when I had my own children and I was able to reflect on what that must have been like for for my mother, as well as for for me as a child between the ages of of nine and 13, living through that. So the book is is a memoir that combines those two stories in in a braided format where the chapters go back and forth between the 2018 crisis and my childhood. And throughout the book, I also reflect about the history of immigration policy in this country, right? Was 2018 really an anomaly or was it the latest iteration of cruel immigration and border policies? It just so happened that everyone had a cell phone around in 2018 and it was much easier. We have podcasts so that we could share information like this in a way that wasn't possible in in prior points in time when similar policies happened. Right. Well, and, and that was, you know, first of all, I think that that I could probably keep you around for a couple of hours uh, and talk about things because there are I mean, there's just so many things that the average person, uh, you know, an average ignorant American like myself, uh, you know, we don't we don't understand because we're not at the border and we don't and we're you know, we don't have the familiarity with, you know, the the countries involved in this immigration policy uh, that we probably should at this point. But, you know, one of the things that struck me, uh, you know, I have a four-year-old daughter uh, now. And so while a lot of this was going on, she was, she was, she was very young and, um, and, and a lot of these children were, were very young, you know, uh, under two years of, of age. And, um, you know, and it just, the to me, I was able, I think, to kind of, better relate somewhat because of, of her being there and, and raising her every day and kind of understanding the mindset of, of a child that age and of parents, you know, of children of that age. And, and I'm trying to wrap my head around this idea, first of all, of, of taking her and traveling, you know, however many hundreds or thousands of miles uh, into this country, into a foreign land where you have no idea what's, what's awaiting for you. Um, and then to have that child removed from you with no information at all about where they're going, what's going to happen to them, when you're going to see them again. 
And that's bad enough for the parent, but then also for the child. I mean, how you were there, how common was it to see very, very young children uh, put into this predicament? And what was the care that was given to those children? To think that to take the risk of traveling by land, but hitchhiking on bus, on train, by foot, people put themselves and their children through that. Just think about how much worse staying home would yeah. have been, right? That's the better option of the options wow. that they have. I, I myself have a five-year-old and a three-year-old. Uh, in 2018, uh, my son was 15 months old. And it is, like you say, it allows one to to relate to that policy and that crisis in a very personal way, in a different way. It doesn't become abstract policy discussion. It becomes very, very real. A lot of people um, to this day justify that policy by saying it wasn't the government. It was the parents. They crossed the border. It's on them, right? They brought this upon themselves. But you were just saying, look at it from the perspective of the children. Yeah. They just th- their mom left, and and sadly, most of them. We, uh, you know, I spoke to one of the moms at one point. We were trying to set up a phone call between her and her daughter, and it took a while. It was very bureaucratic, very difficult. When we finally connected, and and I'm, I'm with her on the phone, asking her if she had been able to to speak to her daughter, and she breaks down crying on the phone with me, and I'm thinking, God darn it. Still not. I'm so sorry that the phone call hasn't happened. We'll keep trying. And she's like, no, no, the, the phone call did happen. Like, oh, so then like, what, what's wrong? Why are you crying? I thought that would be, uh, you know, a reason mm-hmm. to be more hopeful. She's like, well, we were on the phone for five minutes. And for the full five minutes, neither of us could stop crying. Mm. She wouldn't stop saying, hey, mommy, why did you leave me? Why won't you come and get me? From the perspective of a four, five, six-year-old child, it's that simple, right? Daddy left me, mommy left me, and they haven't come and got, gotten me. Mm-hmm. Why, why won't you come and get me? When that was happening, uh, our son started daycare. And one of those days, I went to the courthouse to interview separated parents. and My wife took our son to daycare for the first time. And, and you have kids, so you know, if, if you've taken your child to daycare or preschool, you know that that first day is difficult, yes. right? Yes. So within less than an hour, my wife got a phone call from daycare. Like, you need to come and get him because he won't stop crying. So my wife, Carla, had to go in and pick him up and just to see and, and feel very, in a very real way, you know, what that was like, that he couldn't be away from mom for an hour. He wouldn't stop crying. And we were so blessed and privileged and fortunate that we were able to do so. But to think that there were hundreds and eventually thousands of children who were crying just like my son, but there was nobody to come and get them. It it was just something unlike I've ever dealt with uh, as a lawyer in my life or as a human being for that matter. Yeah, that's a national shame. And it is a national shame that I'm... I feel a double shame about because it emanated from this state, you know, from from Jeff Sessions, who was uh, the attorney general at the time and who is a byproduct of Alabama culture and politics. Um, I also remember, though, um, Efron, I remember um, some years ago 
where uh, the Alabama legislature passed a law called HB 56. Mm-hmm. And um, I appropriated a term that others were using to characterize this legislation. We called it Juan Crow. Juan Crow. Because it was essentially a, if you want to call it this, a, a sort of a re uh, reincarnation of the old Jim Crow from the Civil Rights era. I saw terror strike uh, Latinx families, Latino families, Hispanic families, and children and young people at that time, too. Uh, would you say, do, first of all, do you remember that time period and 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 how would you juxtapose it with what happened to these families and children uh, under the Trump administration? I do remember HB 56 and SB 1070 in Arizona and SB 4 in Texas and SB 158 in Florida. It, it's happening in a lot of, of our states. It's different versions of the same demonizing and vilifying of immigrants that we've seen throughout throughout the years in our not only in our states in other parts of the country as well in in writing the book uh you know in 2018 it was very common to hear from those who oppose the policy the family separation policy this is not who we are as a country this is not the united states this is not america so i, I did some research into the history of immigration law and policy to try to see how have immigrant families been treated before and it is remarkable how similar the arguments are from you know the 1870s and 1880s with the Chinese Exclusion Act, explicitly racist and xenophobic, the only law in our history that explicitly names the nationality and ethnicity for exclusion. Then in the early 20th century, with the arrival of Irish and Italian refugees and Jewish refugees, the same arguments that they're bringing disease into our country, they're gonna take our jobs, they're gonna bring crime, and, and back then, it was very explicit that they don't mix well with the white race. These alien races, they don't mix well with the white race. During World War II, Japanese Americans, immigrants and citizens alike, thrown into internment camps and family separation happening. And it's in cycles, you know, uh, history repeats itself. It's not exactly repetition, but it's the same arguments that then were sanitized in the two, early 2000s. And then in the last five, seven years, they were desanitized again, and you know the gloves came off, and, and the racist justification for those arguments are now back in, in, in the mainstream. This great replacement theory yeah. idea that somebody's getting replaced is like who claims an unassailable right over this land, right? If anybody, it would be Native Americans, mm-hmm. right? But that's not who's making these arguments. Right. So I, I, it, it's different iterations throughout history of, of these ideas that confirm that our immigration laws and systems were designed with this motivation to exclude certain immigrants, exclude people who were not white from this idea of what the United States should be. But those of us who believe in the promise of this country as a beacon of hope and opportunity for immigrants from everywhere, work every day to get our society, our laws and our institutions closer to that promise, closer to that reality that continues to be unfulfilled. Yeah, we have to continue to push for that and fight for it, even though I know that there are many in my community, the African-American community, who feel 
who question the value of that, who, who question whether or not we're really just wasting our time uh, trying to, be, to gain acceptance from a society and a government that historically has not uh, wanted us for any other reason than where it fit into their agenda, which was basically to be to build, you know, to, to build the nation on our backs, you know, on sto- land stolen from the indigenous people and then build on our backs. Um, one final, and I don't know if this is so much a, a question, Ephron, or a statement, but, you know, it strikes me as though, you know, there's a part of us, you know, you're, you, all of us are parents. I, my son is 27 years old, but all of us are parents. We all love and value our children. and it seems to me as though there's a part of us societally and, and as individuals, we understand that children are special. They are a blessing. They're a gift. But then there's this other part of society that will say, yeah, but, you know, so we'll say, yeah, but to children coming across the border yeah, it's okay to separate them from their parents. We'll say, yeah, but, you know, going back in history, we'll say, yeah, but to the children that were subjected to fire hoses and snarling dogs in Birmingham in, during the Civil Rights era. We'll say, yeah, but to the white children who were working in horrible conditions doing labor and manufacturing settings for years in this country until unions and laws forbade those things. So it almost makes me think that our professed love for children is is still not really fully developed and actualized. And, And that's what along with racism and fears and politics, that's what makes something possible like what happened under the Trump administration. When the separations were at their, at their highest, I remember conversations with my colleagues. It's like one of these border agents, they're going to have a conscience and they're going to leak a photograph of the children in cages or a video from inside one of the facilities. And that's what will do it. Once people really see what's going on, that'll be the turning point. And it wasn't happening. It wasn't happening until, and you might remember this from 2018, an audio leaked. ProPublica and another outlet released this about eight minute long audio that is extremely painful to listen to. And it's children, mostly little girls, just crying nonstop for eight minutes and pleading for mommy and papi, just crying and crying nonstop. It's very difficult to, to listen to. That was leaked on a Monday night. And by Wednesday afternoon, less than 48 hours later, the president signed an executive order purporting to stop the separations and, and stopped a lot of them. It was such a turning point in the public opinion. Even people who had been defending and justifying the policy before, once they heard that audio, they changed their mind. It was too much. And I'm convinced that the reason that audio was so powerful in a way that a photograph or a video wouldn't have been was because when you hear the children cry, you don't see the color of their skin. Mm -hmm. 
and all children cry the same. And you think of your own children, or if you don't have any, you think of yourself when you were a child. And it was much harder to other them at that point mm. because they sounded just like your own children when they're crying. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that ability to other people is what allows these types of atrocities to come to pass. If we were able to see people different from us, people who speak a different language, whose skin is a different color, who were born in another country as our fellow human beings, then these things wouldn't be acceptable. Yeah. Yeah. Listen, I, you know, like I said, I, we could keep you for, for, I, I could, I could just talk to you for hours uh, about this and, and would love to do it. Uh, but I know you've got to get out of here. Uh, you know, before, before you go, I just want to mention one more time. The book is My Boy Will Die of Sorrow, a memoir of immigration from the front lines, uh, by Efron Olivares. Um, and, uh, you know, one, one last thing is it, have we reunited these kids with, with their parents for the most part? Have the Biden administration carried through and been able to reunite most of these families? The vast majority of the families have been reunited. Some of them, um, unfortunately, with a relative other than the parent they were separated from. You know, in some cases, the parent was deported and the child has now been reunited with an aunt or uncle in the U.S. So not all of them. And sadly, some of them never will be. And at least one case after the separation, the day after the separation, a, a father who was being held in a jail took mm. his own life, unfortunately. Mm. So it's it's a tragic policy. Uh, a lot of the families have been reunited, the vast majority of them. Some lawsuits are pending in court and the administration, this administration is fighting them aggressively in court, defending the policy and the officials who carry it out. So that's hard for us advocates to, to mm. reconcile. But th those two things are happening. Yeah. Yeah. That's, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Right. So, yeah. Well, listen, hey, man, um, uh, congratulations on the book. Um, and, and I hope people will, will buy it and support it. And but more importantly, you know, thank you for the work that you've done um, there. It's it's a fantastic cause. I wish it was unnecessary, okay. uh, but unfortunately it is. And uh, and thank you for for spending some time with us today. It's uh, it's Efren Oliveris and uh, it's, you know, you know, seriously, buy the book and, and support his work and, and what he's done, because it, it was a godsend to a lot of people. I know that. So, and one last point on that. Any any royalties that I get from the sales of the book, I'll be donating 50 percent directly to the separated families. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Absolutely. People great. support it. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, I'll tell you what, if we can, if we can do it, we'll try to, we'll try to throw up a link uh, so people can, uh, can buy the book uh, from uh, when we post the podcast uh, stuff up. So, hey, thank you, Efron. We really do appreciate it. Thank you. Have a yeah. good one. All right. Take All right. care. That's, uh, man, it's a shame that, um, mm. yeah, that, that policy. I mean, you know, my God, how can you, how could you do that? to kids like that. I mean, how could you watch that take place and, and be a part of that? I, I yeah. just, how could you be a human being, but specifically a human being who's a parent yeah, or a grandparent or even an aunt or uncle? I mean, and even really worse, racist. I'll say a human being who claims to be a Christian. And I know yeah. Jeff Sessions certainly claims to be a Christian. I, my God, that was... You gotta oh, be horrifying. a real racist. I mean, you really do. You really have to be a real racist because something's got to yeah. get you over the hump of of caring about children. Mm -hmm. You know, something's got to get you past that. Something you've got to be able. There's got to be something that makes you say, "I can do this to these kids because." Mm -hmm. And the only thing, I mean, I there's no. 
the, the only thing that gets you is it's the color of the skin, uh, the, you know, the way that they look, the way that they appear. Uh, that's that's the only thing that 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 makes any sense because you, these are not complicated people that we're dealing with. Jeff Sessions is a simpleton, has always been a simpleton, uh, and is you know uh, one of the more racist people we've ever had in in government anywhere. Um, you know, he's fought civil rights projects yeah. from start to finish his entire yeah. career. I mean, he fought yeah. for a racist uh, school funding structure uh, that still stands today. So, I mean, this is not. These are not complicated people, so you know it's it's that's what it is. I mean, that's we're, hell. We're not fighting this fight at the Canadian border, you know. Right. There's a reason that's for right. that. That's right. Uh, that's and it's right. just, it's just so. I just I don't I don't understand. I don't understand this this whole deal with all this, man. I mean, you know, we go, uh, you, you go out and and you know, I, I've had I've worked with Hispanic people and. Uh, you know, at, at different levels, at a variety of different levels, whether it be, you know, uh, less skilled labor uh, or it be more skilled labor, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and 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 I've known their families and I've known, you know, their kids and, and the way that they they work and the way that they, they come to this country looking for they, they come to this country looking for the same shit. Everybody came here looking for, man. I mean, mm-hmm. it just is so it's the, the hypocrisy of it all just drives you insane and the just the way that people can treat other humans over what what are you protecting you know what are you what are you so outraged about i just don't understand it that you would do this well, to these kids yeah i've i've i heard somebody recently talk about the fact that that there is a a deep seated fear in the white community, that if if there is equality, then equality leads to opportunities for success, not just you know financial success, but but political power for political power to be accrued. And if that happens, the fear is that retribution then follows that that. What historically yeah. has been done to black, brown, and indigenous people and and others, I mean, even Asians, you know, and others, would be done to the white population. And, and so that's the deep psychological fear that fuels a lot of these policies and actions and a lot of this rhetoric. And, um, you know, the thing, the thing I would say about that is, uh, that's certainly indicative of a high level, if that is true, if that Mm -hmm. is true, it's indicative of a high level of guilt and shame. It is. And, and it's, and it's about stuff that really and truly, at least in terms of the, the past, you know, nobody living today had anything to do with that. You know, so there shouldn't be any guilt and shame over the past. You know, no white person today owned any slaves. <laughs> you know, very, very, very few percentage-wise. Just do the math in terms yeah. of ages. Very few people living today were able to participate, relatively speaking, were able to participate in Jim Crow activities like lynchings and mm-hmm. and whatnot. Now there's some who were alive who were, 
definitely, yeah. but they're a small minority. You know, so, you know, there shouldn't be this if that is what it is. There just shouldn't be there, but yet it is. Yeah. Apparently. Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, man. It's um, it, it's it's a sad state, you know that 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 you're you're so fearful of of equality that you see equality as an advantage to others, and you know, I mean, there's no way that anybody can quantify this fear that they have of immigrants. There's no way that they can do it. I mean, there's no there's no number, there's no data point out there that that holds up that holds up under any sort of scrutiny. They don't, they're not taking jobs. The, the communities are not worse off. We're not expending more resources uh, on them. They're not costing us tax dollars. They're not more apt for crime. Uh, matter of fact, in a lot of damn places, the more immigrants you end up with, the less crime you have. The crime rates keep going down because they keep getting the immigrants in there. Uh, you know, and it's just, you know, it, it and it's not, you know, it uh, it's just so frustrating. It's so and you know it's all based upon the color of the skin, the different language, the the people being a little a little more different than than folks are used to, and and just different the the folks who are scared of everything a little bit different. I always just you know I mean it's just I you know I my my parents live in this they still live in the house where I grew up and. That community in Decatur, um, Decatur has a very high Hispanic population. I always have, and it started with uh, a chicken plant that was there, and they they had a lot of, of Hispanic employees come in, uh, and so they just grew. And now there's you know a lot of a lot of families around there. Well, one of the major problems that they have in Decatur is that the Hispanic families um, have have been so successful at starting businesses, uh, you know, at working, at coming in and, and doing a lot of stuff that they've run out of uh, housing in their, in the mid, you know, economy market. Uh, they've run out of housing for, for a lot of those folks. And so now they're really trying to figure that out, which is further aided uh, in more Hispanics coming in because the construction industry has grown to, to such a degree there. Uh, and you already have a lot of Hispanics who are there. And so they're hiring more people who they know who look like them, uh, you know, and, and because they, they speak the language and everybody kind of works together. And, uh, you know, and that's how it, how it goes. And they have moved in. Uh, the, a lot of Hispanic families have moved into the neighborhood where my parents live. And now my parents, my, especially my father, looks like your average Fox News viewer. You know what I mean? <laughs> Old, uh, you know, gray-haired, older white man walks around, you know, scowling at shit a lot. Uh, and But he's the opposite of that. Yeah. And he loves them. I mean, he uh-huh. loves, I mean, it's like, he, oh, we got this another Mexican family moving in. Thank God. You know, I mean, it's just like, like, what, well, you know, what? It was like, yeah. He's like, oh man, it's, it's, uh, they're so great. And he goes over and he talks to them all the time. We may get tips from them because the guy, one of the folks that lives next door to them, they own uh, a really good uh, construction company. Um, I mean, one of the, one of the top in the, in the area. And, uh, and they, he talks to them all the time about, you know, gets prices and advice. And so I know he's just bugging the shit out of them over things, but it's, <laughs> you know, they're probably thinking, oh my God, here comes this white guy again. Uh, you know, it's, but, uh, you know, they, they, it's just, it's, it's been a total change and it's so different. 
from the neighborhood that I grew up in and the attitudes that were there when I grew up there, you know, and it's changed for the better. Um, and it's just, you know, I mean, it's, it's so all you got, they're just people, people, are, I say it's all about people are just people. That's mm-hmm. all it is. You know, it doesn't, they're not, they all, we all want the same stuff most of the time. And it's just, Stop it with this nonsense and stop treating people like this. My God, look at what we've done to some of these folks. Yeah. All yeah. right, we got to get that in. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm, I, I didn't mean to cut you off. So. No, I was just going to say, people are people. And, you know, you know, in every racial group, you got your jerks and your bigots and your, you know, people that, you you know, we'd rather not have to deal with. And in every mm-hmm. racial group, you have people that are just amazingly wonderful. Yeah. It's just life. People are people. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right about that. All right, let's slide out of here. We'll come back in just a minute. Wrap this baby up. Back in a minute. Alabama politics is week. Hey, everybody. If you would uh, like an opportunity to interact with us here at uh, Alabama Politics this week, uh, we've got a great way for you to do that. Uh, Shoot a question over to apwproducer at gmail.com. That's apwproducer at gmail.com. Anything about Alabama politics you want to know about, uh, I don't know, what what everybody likes to drink or uh, where everybody likes to hang out or whatever, whatever your question may be. Uh, what chances the Democrats might have uh, in the uh, the upcoming midterm elections? Uh, shoot us a question over at apwproducer at gmail.com. apwproducer at gmail.com. Thanks. All righty. Welcome back. That's, uh, that was a depressing conversation uh, with Mr. <laughs> Oliveris. Uh was, uh, he was good. No, don't get me wrong. He was good. And he's got great insight. And some people should probably read the book and, and learn, you know, kind of what we did to human beings over the course of the last, you know, several years. But uh, still, man, it's just so tough to think about those kids. Yeah. And, you know, I said I said if you're a Democrat, it was depressing. And, and that's because I think so much of of what happened You know, I mean, again, we talked about how this this should you should just be a parent or a grandparent or or just a decent human being. And it should be depressing. But unfortunately, this was a Republican. This was a byproduct of Republican politics, specifically Trumpian Republican politics. And I and I think we need to make sure that people never forget that. You know, Republicans need to remember this dark time of this this dark section of their history so yep. that God willing, they never return to it. I mean, the fact that things got so twisted, people got so lost morally that they actually were comfortable with doing that to children. My God, I may know. we never, ever forget that. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. And it is, it was atrocious and it's, it's just, God, it's so terrible. I mean, it's just so terrible, but you're right, man. It's how Republicans are. Uh, so anyways, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> I don't, I don't mean to make light of it, but I, you know, at, at a point you just got to say, listen, we're going to fight to make it better. And, um, and, and they're not, 
you know, and and at some point we just like we have throughout the rest of history with progressives, uh, drag them kicking and stre- uh, screaming along behind us uh, into current day, into better lives, into more equality, into treating people more decent, uh, decently. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, this is where we're, uh, this is what we're going to have to do. Uh, we've done it before. We'll do it again. Uh, in the meantime, some of them will cheat to win. I know that'll come as a shock. Um, <laughs> but uh, we possibly, I'm not going to cast any, uh, any, any versions here. I'm just going to say we possibly had a case in which some questionable things have, uh, have arisen in the uh, Madison County area with Dr. David Cole, a Republican, uh, former military guy, uh, doctor, running for House District 10 uh, against Maryland Lands. And as it turns out, it seems as though the good doctor lives in House District 4. Um, so we reported on this, uh, the Alabama political reporter, I actually wrote the story and, and did the reporting uh, that uh, about this. And this was in Thursday's, on Thursday's website. And so um, they, so this is what happened. Somebody sent me some information and said, hey, I think David Cole does not live in his district. And here is why I think that. And they provided me with his address. Uh, They provided me with an address that he used on his uh, voter file, uh, on the file that he used when he was filing to run for office. They -hmm. provided me with the current map for House District 10. uh, And then just simply said, check the tax records, see what you find. And I said, okay, simple enough. Go to the property tax records for Madison County and see what I find. You can pull those things up online. And as you find, as, as I would come to find, uh, the Cole family, his wife and uh, three children uh, and himself, have lived at a home on Cedar Springs Drive in Madison. Just It's just south of Mill Road. If anybody's familiar with the area, County Line Road is runs north to south. Mill Road cuts off towards the east. Uh, and that is Mill Road is now the cutoff basically in that area between District 10 to the north and District 4 to the south. Okay. Um, and it, it was not previously, though. Uh, before that, this... Uh, that house that the Coles were living in was in District 10. So then they they did the redistricting in 2020, changed the lines because of the huge population growth around here, and that house shifted to Parker Moore's district in House District 4. So uh, Mr. Cole wanted to run for office, it seems, and he needed a, a home to do so. And uh, he claimed a home at 120 Conservancy Drive. Uh, he claimed a home at Conservancy Drive. Um, and I looked this up. Okay. And this home is owned by a man named Hembert Sinopoli. I, I assume I'm saying this right. I apologize to the Sinopolis if, if I am not. Uh, and his wife. And they have owned it since 2018 and still currently own it and paid the taxes on it and claim it as their homestead exemption uh, hmm. on their taxes. Uh, just as the Coles claim the house on Cedar Springs is their homestead exemption, which means that's your primary residence. For tax right. purposes, that's where you live. Right. Uh, and if you don't live there, uh, that's what they call tax fraud. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you got mm-hmm. you got to kind of live in the place. Um, so, 
I called up uh, the coal campaign and said, hey, man, what what the hell's going on here? And I got a story that was so off the wall. I, I, I don't, they would have been better off just saying no comment uh, on this, I think. But, mm. And I mean, listen, it was the truth. Uh, I mean, I, I think what they were trying to do is give me some version of things that sound, uh, the, the truth, they couldn't tell the truth, I don't think. And so they had to give me something to explain this. And this is what I was told. This is verbatim. I mean, this is this is one hundred percent the actual story. I'm and, not embellishing on the story. And this I is what they t- said to you when you called. Not yes, this is what I said when I called. When okay. I called and asked about this, okay, they said David Cole and his wife wanted to downsize and move into an apartment. Whatever was going on, now kids were you know maybe growing up. I, I don't know. Whatever. They, but this, they wanted to, to downsize and move into an apartment. So he had selected an apartment that he wanted to live in. But that apartment was not available to move into at the time that he wanted to move into. So, so, instead of moving into the apartment, he leased space with the Sinopolis. Who still lived in the house hmm. that the Cole family of five was now going to move into with them. Hmm. While, mind you, they maintained another home that they were no longer living in for no apparent reason. Hmm. Uh, that they and all could fit in. The, yes. This, both homes were roughly in the 3,000 square foot range. Mm-hmm. So instead of remaining in the home where they had lived for seven years, mm-hmm. they moved in with the Sinopoli family in another 3,000 square foot home just because. Now, I'm going to ask you. Does that strike you as believable in any way? It is. Uh, it it does what we call stretching credulity. <laughs> stretching or breaking? <laughs> to the point of breaking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a pretty bizarre. That's a pretty bizarre answer. It's got some convoluted logic to mm-hmm. it. Um, now, let me ask you this. Um, sure. That convoluted story aside, is it possible that 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 what has actually happened is that somebody just made an honest mistake no. in what they filed or what they no. submitted? No? no. Okay. Tell me why. There's no way. There's there's look. There's simply no way. But and I tell you this. Uh, the, the also under Alabama law, you have to live in the residence where you are filing to run in the, mm-hmm. in the district where you're filing to run, you have to have lived there for at least one year, one calendar year uh, prior to election. Elections on November the 8th. The Cole family allegedly moved in with the Sinopoli family on November the 6th of 2021. So mm. there's no, there's no reason for them to be in that house. 
Okay. Right. There's no reason right. whatsoever for them to be in that house. And what I, you know, what I think was going to take place here. I, I listen. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what I, what was going to take place. I have no idea what they were thinking about. Other than they wanted to be in District Ten to run in District Ten, and he couldn't. His house was in District Four, and so I, he was faced with. It seems either one of two things. I think happened. Either he did not want to move from that house for something, some reason. Either maybe they liked the house, maybe it's their family house. They don't want to move. Maybe the kids would have had to change school districts and they didn't want to do that to them. Uh, something. Uh, and so they needed to go over here. Or, or he went and decided he wanted to run and realized for the first time way too late in the process mm-hmm. that he didn't live in District 10 anymore. Mm-hmm. They'd drawn him out. so. I don't know, you know, what is it, what took place there. It, but. Is it possible? And I'm still trying to give them the benefit of the doubt here, even though I think this is a very convoluted story that they told you. Mm-hmm. Is it possible that in the house that they, in which they had been living, that was, you know, zoned for the seat that he was running for, is mm-hmm. it possible that there was maybe a problem with the house? You know, do you think maybe, you know, what if there was black mold and maybe they discovered black mold or asbestos I, or something? I I would have taken that answer. Okay. However, okay. However, I drove by the house when I got this from me. I thought, well, let me just go take a look to see what the hell's going on with these houses. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I drove by, first of all, the house that is actually in District 10, mm-hmm. uh, the Conservancy Drive house. I drove by there and just kind of rode around. And it's at the end of a cul-de-sac. It's a nice house, beautiful house. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and um, there was a gentleman out front going in and out of the house. Uh, he was doing some some yard work outside at the time. Um he was most definitely not David Cole. <laughs> so hmm. uh, I thought, hmm, well, that's a little weird. All right, let me uh, go to the other house. Hmm. So I went to the other house. Uh, there was a gentleman standing outside, outside of a truck there that I know is, was, I, I, when I went to start this too, I went through the campaign Facebook page of, of uh, David Cole. And I said, whoa, I've seen that truck. That truck is on his campaign website, and he used that truck in a parade uh, not too long back. Hmm. Uh, and lo and behold, standing outside beside the truck was David Cole. <laughs> um, and uh, going in and out of the house were the kids and the and the wife. Oh, um, yeah. And so I just kind of tooled by and thought, well, listen, that's one time. Maybe they were just getting some stuff out of the house. Maybe, maybe uh-huh. that's all they were doing. Uh-huh. Drove by again, and I didn't like see the anybody same this day time. Or another time. This was another another day. This was another day. Oh, Drove okay. by because, and I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. My my daughter has uh, has dance classes uh, at a place, and and the route that I take takes me right down Mill Road, mm-hmm. and so it's nothing to just bounce off of that into that little subdivision, make a make a loop through there, and see what's going on. So I did that a couple different times. Uh, at the times that I would take her to, to the dance classes. And um, I um, I went by and 
there I didn't see anybody outside this time, but the place was very obviously occupied. All right. I mean, I could see people in the backyard. They have a pool in the backyard. And so you could see people kind of in the backyard milling about. Um, and, and it was, you know, the cars parked outside in the driveway uh, and on the street. Um, and then I went by a third time. And on this time, as I went and turned and made a little loop and turned back around and was coming back out as I was waiting at the stop sign, the front door pops open. David Cole walks out with a dog mm. <laughs> to go on a nice little afternoon walk. Mm. Um, so, yeah, they live at that house. Wow. And um, I, I mean, you know, if you ask me to make it to make a determination, I would just simply say to you, they live at that house. They did, never lived with Hembert and his wife, uh, the Sinopolis. Um, they put that address down to say that they lived there. That would be my guess. And I would guess that's also going to be the determination of a circuit court judge when somebody files a challenge to this. Uh, because that's the end of this, uh, is the if, if you, uh, right now, unless somebody challenges it, he stays on the ballot. If he gets elected, he's in office. There's nothing that can be done. But if somebody challenges it and it goes before a Madison County judge, um, you know, they'll make a determination on this. And should they find that he is li- indeed living out of district, which I think is you know going to be fairly obvious because there's I- I'm pretty good with public records and and searching people. There is nothing with his name on it at that house at that other house. Wow. There's all sorts of things at this other at, at his at his real house. Uh, but if they do, if they find if the judge finds that way and he wins, what will ultimately happen is he will be sworn in. And then removed from office, and there will be a special election itself at, at taxpayer expense. At taxpayer expense, yeah. So um, I don't know now. I I don't know if there's some some level of fraud allegation that could be levied here. Um, you know, because mm-hmm. a lot of people donated to this, um, and so I don't know what I don't. I, you know, I don't know what the responsibility is on, on any of that, and, and I'm not. I, I'm again, I don't want anybody to say that there's some fraud here. I'm not saying that. Mm-hmm. I'm saying I don't know in a campaign if that's even an option mm-hmm. uh, on that. Okay. One other, one, one final question. So you sure. said, you fire said, away, man. Fire you away. Said if, if someone files a complaint with mm-hmm. the circuit court, are you aware of the fact that somebody's going to do that? Or have you heard that somebody's I'm going to do that? I'm aware that. Yes, I think somebody will, will within the next week, I think somebody will file a complaint. Okay. I believe that to be the case. I believe that there are, and I'll say this, you know, there are a lot of people who think the Democrats were kind of behind this, which we just talked a lot about Democrats and how unorganized they are. <laughs> so uh, um, I will say it was surprising to me, I believe the source of this information. And so, um, I, I'm I'm interested to see you know I don't know why why this was brought up really I, I really don't I don't know why why it, why it came out uh, but um, you know or who David Cole has kind of ticked off but you know yeah so anyways it's uh we'll we'll see I think I do think that there are going to be you know, some people who did it I I oh, I know this I know that there was one Republican who got booted off the ballot over there who was pretty mad about it and I'm I'm interested to see if they're part of the challenge 
uh, to this. And, um, and I know that there are some libertarian candidates that are, that are pretty upset about it. Okay. So yeah, man. Wow. You just did some, uh, you did some old fashioned detective work. Or, well, I wouldn't go that far. I, I mean, just did a little mean, bit, of, you know. I, scoping I, up I, people's I, houses, man. Hey, <laughs> wait a minute. I'm peeping in windows or anything here. I just uh, hey, made out like a peeping Tom. No, I just took no, a tool no. back. As a matter of fact, uh, one, of, one of the times I went by there, uh, you know, I had uh, a four year old playing. Uh, um, I don't know some videos in the back seat of the car. Uh, uh-huh. You know, as we were going by. Um, but you know, it's a. Uh, I I just man, I hate that. I hate the. I I'll say this. I'm also. I'm also pretty good at this type of reporting, mm-hmm. as the people at Prattville High School will attest. To. <laughs> 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 yeah, I busted the Prattville High School uh, several years ago for. Uh, uh, for basically recruiting players from Montgomery uh, mm. and putting them in, man, one of the one of the uh, it, it might it might be dumber than this. I was actually questioning the uh, questioning it makes me sound like I'm like law enforcement, but I was actually talking to interviewing after I had gone and done uh, a lot of the same sort of investigative work on these uh, players and the houses that they were allegedly living in, um, and one of them was supposedly living in this trailer. His parents were earning somewhere north of five hundred grand in Montgomery as like a fire chief and then a lawyer, and um, and he was supposedly living in this single wide trailer with no electricity uh, <laughs> in uh, in Prattville to go to school, and so I was asking this coach about it, and this guy said, "Oh yeah, I personally checked these residences myself." And I said, really? Did you go? I said, did you go during the day or at night? He said, I think I went over there at night. I said, well, then I could understand you not knowing since there's no electricity in the damn place. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, I, at a point, man, it would be easier for people to just say, yeah, mm-hmm. you got me. You know, yeah, yeah, we, we, we didn't realize this. We made a mistake and we're going to bow out, you know, and so. Yeah, and just bowed out. This, this would have probably been one of those, and uh, you know, I I felt bad for uh, for for David Driscoll, who's the campaign manager for uh, David Cole, and I, I, I like I like Driscoll uh, a lot, and I, I think he's a he's an honorable guy, and and he tried to, you know, he was trying to salvage something that you know uh, on this, and and it just, I think he just got put in a bad spot, and hmm. uh, you know, he, but well. Man, you know, the the interesting thing is, it, you know, I'll say uh, I don't know the Coles or I, I know Dave Driscoll. I don't know the Coles. I know yeah. Marilyn Lance, the Democrat uh, who's yeah. running against uh, Mr. Coles. And and of course, you know, the the, uh, the Madison County Democratic Party strongly believes that Marilyn Lance has a great chance of winning. Yes. And believe that anyway. So, yes, it would be a shame if 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 if. If uh, and and not that I have any real sympathy for, you know, Republicans these days, but it would be a real shame if, on top of perhaps maybe losing an election, uh, you know, you have this added shame of, you know, uh, you know, yeah. per- perhaps fraudulent activity or or, or something that uh, skirted the law, you know, as part yeah. of your legacy. 
Yeah, yeah, it would. And and and, and for this guy, you know, I mean, Nicole's, I don't know him either. You know, I've never, I tried to talk to him. He didn't want to talk to me. Uh, although I, and I told, and, uh, told, uh, Driscoll at the same time, you know, listen, man, I'll, I'll talk to him. I'll be very fair and I'll present his, you know, his side of this thing is, you know, I, I'm telling you what I believe here. I think, you know, I, because what I told, I told uh, Driscoll in an email, I was like, listen, I, I, I don't think anybody's going to buy this, uh, this story. I said, it's just not, it's just not believable that a doctor making 300 grand a year or more, uh, you know, cause that's what his statements of economic interest, uh, say he's making. Mm-hmm. That's how I know that. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, that between him and his wife, they're making over 300 grand a year at a minimum. And that he moved into another 3000 square foot house with his three children and his wife with another family. And that there, there's yeah. just nobody. He supposedly lived there from November to September. And that's not, that's nobody's going to buy that man. I mean, they're just not. And yeah. not when there is another home sitting there, you know, if they had sold the other house and you thought, well, they just didn't have anywhere to go. Well, okay. Yeah. All right. You know, that's a whole different story now we're talking yeah. about. But they didn't. And it's, you know, it's just, uh, what, are we, what are we doing? What are you doing? So, uh, speaking of what are you doing, our right-wing nut of the week, uh, Tommy Tuberville. What are you Jeez, doing, We're going to make him like the permanent right-wing nut of the week, I guess. And then what just give doing? the award, a secondary award out to people. <laughs> David. I don't know if you know this or not, but race doesn't have color. You know, I didn't know that. Is that what is that what the senator said? He said that race doesn't race have any have color. color. Reparations don't have color either. Oh, really? So there's no context for color. Nope. There's a bunch of Democrats trying to blow this thing out of proportion and make it race when he was talking about crime. Uh you know what? What you know what? It all all joking aside. One one thing that has crossed my mind more than once is: Is it possible that Tommy Tuberville really doesn't know what reparations is, and that he just <laughs> yeah. he used a word that he thought might apply, yeah. but he got the context and the syntax wrong, and he just you know, and he and he still doesn't get what the fuss is about. Is that possible? Do you think? I'll, I'll, I'll put it to you like this. Um, we record the the Voice of Alabama Politics, the V uh, TV show on Thursdays, just before you and I record the podcast. And on that one, we also right. on that show we also talked about Tuberville. And and one of uh, one of the the ladies on the show this week said uh, that she recommended that Tommy Tuberville pick up a a dictionary and and look into the word race. Um, and, uh, and see that it includes, you know, the definition of color. And I responded and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think y'all are getting way ahead of yourselves here. Okay. First of all, let me speak directly to Tommy Tuberville here. A dictionary is a book that you can take and it defines a lot of words. <laughs> so, to answer your question, uh, hell yeah, that's possible. The man that didn't know what the Voting Rights Act was or didn't know what, uh, you know, the three branches of government are. <laughs> yes, it's possible. Anything is possible at this point. If you, I, Honestly, I thought what you were going to say there is, do you believe that Tommy Tuberville might be mentally handicapped? And I was going to say, I don't, you know, it could be. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, you, you know, I, I don't. I don't think he's mentally handicapped. I, I, and the reason I don't think that is because whatever 
whatever, despite whatever savvy he appears not to have when it comes to a whole lot of things, mm-hmm. boy, when it comes to those insider trades and uh, stock tips, he seems to be pretty doggone savvy about those things. Yeah, but do you think he's just maybe got his broker on the phone with him? You know, like on speakerphone or something, he's just laying the phone down during the committee meetings while so the broker can listen. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, you know, as I, you said earlier, I, I don't even trust him possible. to take notes on that. You know, I, I don't. I don't trust him to take notes in the committee meetings that, that he could then pass along to the broker to tell him which stocks. <laughs> yeah, anything I, is possible. Yeah, honestly, and what we're referring to is that those were those were Tuberville's comments uh, during one one uh, was during an interview. Oh no, that, that was all during the interview on Fox Ten down in Mobile. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said these things to a black female reporter, by the way. Uh, mm. This this was during, yeah. during the interview. This is what he told a black female reporter, um, uh, which I, I don't know how she maintained composure. It's better than <laughs> she's better than I could have been. Which I mean, my God. Um, and then later, later, not to be outdone, or hell, it might have been before, but at some point, also on Tuesday, uh, he went to uh, an hostel gathering. Also, is a company down in Mobile, major company, a manufacturing company down there, and said just some off the wall horseshit about takers um, and and how millennials and Gen Xers are a bunch of takers, and we just don't have you know a work ethic anymore in this country. First of all. You've just referenced essentially the entire workforce, okay? Mm-hmm. By those two definitions. I know you don't, I know he doesn't know that. I know mm-hmm. he just, those are just words that he says, millennials and Gen Xers. That, those are just words that somebody told him one day and he's just now saying yeah. them. So I know that. But so you've referenced the entire workforce by saying that. Second, mm-hmm. second, and most importantly, this is a man who. In 2008, when the Auburn Tiger football team was struggling and Nick Saban had arrived and and it was obvious what was going to take place there uh, and Nick Saban was about to take over things, uh, the AD and president of Auburn University went to Tommy Tuberville to say, hey, man, I want to let you know we support you still, okay? And we're going to put that in writing and we're going to say, we support you. To which Tommy Tuberville told them, my heart's not in it anymore. Um, I'd, I'd like to quit. But um, I want my $5 million buyout. Right, right. So essentially putting the Auburn administration in the position of having a coach who wants to quit and is not going to do the job effectively anymore. Mm-hmm. Or paying him $5 million to leave. To resign. He's going to resign and quit. Mm-hmm. Or he's going to stay there and continue to collect a check. And do a lousy job. Even though job. he's not going to do the damn job. Right. Right. That's the definition of a taker. That I would say that ought to be in the dictionary. When you look yeah. it up, the book you were talking about earlier, mm-hmm. that ought to be what you see. Yeah. That ought to be it. That should be the definition of a taker right there. We could have had Doug Jones. That's why I think every time Tommy Tuberville speaks, I think this could have been Doug Jones. Yeah. It, this, it, or, or, or if I'm really dark that day, I think this guy beat Doug Jones by 20 points. Mm. Jesus. 
It's unbelievable. Really? It's unbelievable. This has been a depressing show. This is not the um what? this is not the outcome that we wanted. <laughs> but you know what? You know what? There's always next week. Uh, yeah. There's, there's yeah, always yeah. next week. We can we can try to find a, a reason to be happy next week. Oh, wait a minute. Next week is going to be a week before the election. Oh, it's up. But see, see, I was going to say, gave a little hope at the beginning. Gave a little hope at the beginning. So I, I said, you know, I think Democrats are going to perform much better than people are. All right. Well, then we'll ride on that. So, we'll ride on so, that. Hope. So we'll, we'll, I, I'll bring that back up at the end now and then say next week we're only a, we're, we're, we're right before the election. And yeah. so. The, the glory is coming. So we're going to we're going to make you our prophet and say that our prophet yeah. says. Let's 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 don't get carried away. Okay. <laughs> I don't have a very good track record with predictions. I don't know if you've ever seen my sports predictions. They're typically pretty terrible. Uh, we'll see, though. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right. All right. Uh, let's uh, let, let's end this and just say, you know what? Here here's hoping for for a brighter a brighter day, uh, and and maybe maybe we can get there. But you know, however it goes, y'all be safe out there. Peace.